I am vengeance. I am the night. I am also a podcast. I am a podcast. 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 Oh! It's a show. It's a show. Audio only, though. What is it about? If you have time, I can tell you that it is a podcast about Batman, a Batman podcast. Uh, what did you want me to say in this part? It's a show. Yeah. Welcome to the 20th episode of Batman the Animated Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Michael, and you are listening to an audio variety show for your ears based on the legendary 1990s cartoon, Batman the Animated Series. Today's sponsor, Dating Batman Style. Because nothing helps you date right like gleaning some tips from a man who is more emotionally broken than not. Now, I don't need to tell you that today's a very, very special episode, but... I will anyway. Today's a very, very special episode. To celebrate the 20th episode of this podcast, I'll be talking about the theatrically released feature film Batman Mask of the Phantasm, and I'll be doing it with the voice of Batman himself, Kevin Conroy. He'll say stuff like this. God, he's like a good friend that you just could never turn your back on. You know what I mean? I love playing the character. He's such an... He's such an interesting character. He never fails to fascinate me. He makes me want to be a better person. But first, I'll be sitting down with one of the smartest and funniest guys I know, comedy writer and director Alex Fernie. He says stuff like this. I was kind of blown away by how much, how many pieces from this show up in the Nolan world. And, you know... 10 years, over 10 years before, which is fascinating because it's a smart way to do it. Oh yeah, and did I mention that Alan Burnett, who came up with the idea for this film and helped write it, is returning to talk about it? Yeah, you're right, I didn't, but now I did, and now you know. Hello, Justin, sorry to interrupt. What is up, dude? Oh, hey, Kevin Conroy bot, my robot assistant who looks identical to Batman voice actor Kevin Conroy. Eh, not much, just talking about our guests. Yes, about that. You mentioned Kevin Conroy... Yeah? I had a quick question. Is Kevin Conroy my daddy? Uh, I don't really know how to answer that. Well, my name is Kevin Conroy, bot. Is Kevin Conroy my daddy or not my daddy? I guess in a way, he sort of is. I would like to meet him someday. I would say, hello, daddy. I am you, but different, daddy. Yeah, I don't I don't think that would go over so well. I mean, you're saying the word daddy an uncomfortable amount of times for a robot that looks like an adult grown man. Sorry to make you uncomfortable, mommy. Please don't call me that. Okay, mom. Or that? Well, one day I will meet daddy. Yeah, I don't think he even knows I made an unauthorized robot duplicate of him, so yeah, best to keep this one under wraps. Yes, you can trust me, mama Justin. Bum is the word. I am vengeance, I am the night, I am Kevin Conroy bot, and Kevin Conroy is my daddy, goodbye. Okay, later KCB. Feel like we dodged a weird bullet there. Uh, Let's talk Phantasm, shall we? Today's special episode, Mask of the Phantasm.
theatrically on Christmas Day 1993. That's December 25th for you Christmas heads. Directed by Bruce Tim and Eric Radomski. Story and screenplay by Alan Burnett. Written by Burnett, Paul Dini, Marty Pascal, and Michael Reeves. Original music by Shirley Walker. Featuring the principal voice cast of Kevin Conroy as Batman, Mark Hamill as the Joker, and Dana Delaney's DC animated debut as Andrea Beaumont, a.k.a. The Phantasm. Okay, guys, what can I say about this film that hasn't already been said? It's great. Many consider it the best Batman film, period. As much as I love Nolan's Dark Knight, I think uh, this will always be my personal favorite. When the movie came out, I was the right age to be moved and affected by it, as well as scour the toy shelves and pay an overpriced 40 bucks for an ultra-rare Phantasm action figure in the always smelly Burbank Mall. This was the Batman film I would constantly rewatch. It felt like one long best episode. And not just because we finally dove into the animated Batman's origins, and not because it's arguably one of the coolest Joker set pieces in the entire series. I mean, a dilapidated 1964 World's Fair setup? Are you kidding me? No, I loved the Phantasm, who wasn't just a great Batman villain, but also a great movie monster. And like all sympathetic movie monsters, this one has a tragic human center that reveals the scarier monsters are the ones in plain sight, the ones who are eventually hunted down. There was also just something exciting about seeing our Batman on the big screen. Not Keaton, not West, Kevin Conroy's Batman. And he's bleeding no less. In hell, Batman knocked out one of the Joker's teeth with a disgustingly beautiful spray of blood. Uh, he was resigned to die by the end, a heartbroken mess of a human being who was already a mess to begin with. Mobsters were crushed by headstones and buried alive. Wheezing old men are contorted into smiling ghouls before exploding to smithereens. And the Joker may or may not be having relations, let's be honest, probably is, with a reprogrammed World's Fair robot that he has named Mabel. Okay, clearly I could talk about this forever, but I won't right now because I'm about to continue talking about it with other people. I highly recommend checking out the world's finest website. They have a great online retrospective with tons of art and interviews, everything else you might want to know about this film that we don't cover. But for now, let's get to that first interview. Today's fan, Alex Fernie. Alex is a writer-director for TV shows like Hulu's Hot Wives series, Children's Hospital, Newsreaders, and NTSF on Adult Swim, as well as segments for John Oliver's HBO show. He's one of the funniest improvisers out there, so if you want to watch him and Alex Berg, a.k.a. the voice of Riddler on this very podcast, do live comedy, uh, check out Convoy and Sentimental Lady at UCB in Los Angeles. Also, did I mention he's a huge nerd? Guys, I've seen him wear a cape while DMing a D&D sesh. That sentence only makes sense to nerds. And sure, he didn't necessarily wear it by choice, but still. A cape. He kept on a cape. Guys, I think you'll agree that he's more than qualified to chat bat, so let's do it. Bernie to talk Batman, Mask of the Phantasm. That's right. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Great. We already did this as, yeah. as real people, and now this is like yeah, the I've fake been here at least ten it. minutes. Yeah. Uh, we talked about the pronunciation of Spectre, mm-hmm. uh, and so on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you just rewatched this movie for the first time in how Num- long? A number of years, because I don't think I saw this as a kid. Like, I think I've only seen it as an adult. So, like, years ago, I was like, oh, I should watch that. 
Um, so I just rewatched it last night. Um, and so I had like a, like a 50% recall of it. There were huge chunks of it. I was like, oh, that's right. And then a bunch of it I did remember, um, which, was, which was fun to watch. Every listener in their pocket has a machine that could do better CG than what the CG is at the top of that movie. Like, Which is crazy. Yeah, it's it's like very flat buildings yeah. that they're kind of slowly... Mo- it looks like a screensaver. It looks like an after-dark screensaver. Which is crazy because the rest of the movie looks so much better still. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just clearly that, that, that grit and that uh, texture to it is so there. And that, that opening, you go, oh, oh no, is there going to be a lot of this? And then you go, oh, okay, there's not. There is not at all. Mm-hmm. Did you watch the animated series as a kid? Yeah, I just never saw this. So this just was like... Because this happened like pretty early in the series. Yeah, I, I love the show. I don't know. I vaguely remember it being a thing that existed. But like that's it. Like So I don't know if like my video store growing up just didn't put it in a prominent shelf as a kid. So I didn't really understand I could watch it or something. I feel like it did just get swept away yeah. and like, you know... As good as it is, it was just kind of like, oh, it failed miserably at the box office. Because if I had known it existed, I definitely wouldn't want to see it. My vague memory of the movie of Phantasm was that I loved as a kid. I loved Batman and Batman Returns. Like, I loved them. So I wonder if there's an element as a kid to me of being like, oh, not understanding it was like the TV show and thinking, you can't do another Batman. No way. Those are the Batman movies I like because I bet I didn't fully understand that it's, yeah, it didn't check out <laughs> yeah yeah they well it's like the tv show but a movie i think i probably just thought it was another fake batman movie or something like that yeah i feel like i don't know if i i truly don't think i saw it in theaters yeah uh i, I think it was only out for like a really brief period of time but i definitely had like a vhs like clamshell mm-hmm. <laughs> That came with like a little mini like version, like a novelization of the comic, like a comic version of it. And until like reading about it for this, I had thought it was a TV movie. I had thought, I didn't realize that it showed in theaters at all. I thought it was either like a directed VHS or something like that. Well, it originally was intended to be like direct to video or VHS or whatever. And then I think like in the 11th hour, they were like, you know what? We're going to release this theatrically. And like everybody working on the production was like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> we would have done this so differently. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think a lot of like that World's Fair ending, like the mm-hmm. Joker fight, uh, like like the big spectacle stuff was added for the movie. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, let's start with your, like, what's your experience with Batman the Animated Series? Do you remember the first episode you saw? Or like, Oh, gosh. Um, the episode, I can't remember what the first one was. I can remember the ones that, like, as a kid, I would be excited if they came on because um, it would be on after school. Uh, I can remember uh, the the Clayface episodes. I'd be really excited about, um, and uh, I would be uh, the like the more Joker invested. I would be super mm-hmm. excited about. Uh, I'm trying to remember what the first one I would have seen is, and I, I'm not even. I can't remember. No, I'm not sure what that would be. I do remember that like I liked the earlier ones more than the later ones. I remember there's a certain point I think that when they even changed styles. Yeah. And as a kid I was like, no. <laughs> not interested. Like I just didn't when they started bundling it with Superman and changing the opening credits. I think that was about when like for some reason I just was like, No, this isn't this isn't what I liked about it as much. Yeah, I feel like it was more you know, it was like more noirish and, you know, the the animation was like kind of more fleishery before yeah. That kind of redesign. Well, they redesigned in that way that a lot of now, like the DC anime animation in general, but the, those the the first few seasons, there's so much um, 
uh, uh, just grain and grit to the art. Uh, like tactile, it's not that sort of very smooth, flat colors that say like you know Justice League has. Yeah. Um, where it's very like there's not a lot of shading. It's very this is this green. Uh, but then in the happens in Phantasm too. There's so much that is just like like uh, speckled background or abstract uh, in that you feel paint. Yeah. And, and which is great and really makes it feel. Uh, like it has this like analog feeling to it and I didn't like it as much when it smoothed out. I mean even the transfers I feel like you see like a lot of dust popping up or you know and people are like we want Blu-ray releases of this and it's like I don't know I kind of like diving into this old feeling thing. Yeah I borrowed your DVD of Mask of the Phantasm and it's a terrible transfer. (laughs) Like, Like there is just like flaws in the print that they put on the DVD, but it makes it feel like, oh, I might be watching a cartoon from the 30s. It really gives it like a weird like feeling to it. It's a bad DVD, too. Uh, it's one of those double-sided. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> widescreen or yeah. other. Cardboard and yeah. then like a little bit of plastic. Mm-hmm. Real exciting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> did you read comics, actually? I mean, I know you do now. Yeah, I did. Um, I, was, I was mainly a Marvel kid. With like Batman is my exception. Yeah. Uh, like when I started reading comics, I can I can trace my comics reading. Um, I was went on a uh, uh, like a family trip to Guelph, which is a terrible town in Canada. Um, Forgotten Realm. Yeah, it's G U E L F, I think, and it's like I had like distant family there, and all I remember about was the trip up because I get to, it was a long ride, and I get to buy all this stuff, and I ended up buying some comic books straight over and I was like six mm-hmm. maybe less uh, and they bought me like um, hot little hot stuff comics um, <laughs> wait what is little hot little stuff? hot stuff's like a mischievous little devil would hang out with Wendy the witch and Casper the ghost sometimes uh, and he was you know what Justin he would just cause trouble <laughs> like he would just go around and he would be causing trouble I mean he was a little hot he stuff he was a little hot stuff he was, like <laughs> Casper was like good natured Wendy was just sort of normal kid who was a witch Hot stuff. He embraced being a devil. Wore a little diaper, had a little pitchfork, stabbed people in the butt a lot, and they go, "Youch!" Wasn't like, Baby Huey in the same universe? Baby Huey. Yep, yep. Baby Huey. A lot Huey of diaper was there. characters. A lot of de- well, it's hilarious. You know, just running around. Um, so I, I got little hot stuff. I got Casper, and then I got a comic of uh, Cops. C O P S, a cartoon series from the late '80s, I think, um, about cyborg cops. Uh, okay, so not based off of the no. cops television. No, it was an acronym for something. I bet it was like cybernetic or something. All I can remember was, this, and there were like action figures as one of those attempts at this is going to be a big thing. It was like, nah, maybe it's not. Uh, and so I really liked those. And then I was into Transformers, so I started reading the Transformers comics that Marvel put out. Uh-huh. And then that led, and then like when I got like a year older, and then a little bit older, I started reading Spider Man, and then I got really into. Uh, like superhero stuff. And, and go How did you that. get into Batman? Because I feel like Marvel, you know, the like movie. I was really into Marvel. Yeah, for yeah. Spider Man and X Men, like those were. The, yep. You know, and Fantastic Four, I really liked as yeah. a kid. I loved Spider Man. Uh, uh, one, I still one of my favorites as a kid. I latched onto it, and I still fucking love Cloak and Dagger. Mm. Like I did, they're like my favorite C list. I just think they're the best. Uh, and I really liked X Men, uh, especially once the X Men cartoon came out. I also got on board with that because it was the first time Batman, I feel like, takes... The animated series Batman takes what was happening in the comics then and kind of does something more interesting. And X-Men was the first time I saw something that wasn't a comic book doing what the comic books did. Where they were like, we're just going to do Dark Phoenix. It was just like a transcription, yeah, essentially. Yeah, and I loved that. But I think I got really into Batman because of the Burton movie. 
um, which I was just like, I loved, loved, loved. Uh, and so I started reading Batman comics uh, and going through all that stuff. And there were, I'd come up and down on it because there were, they would do arcs where I was like, I don't care about this. And then they'd do arcs where like I'd be really into Nightfall. And, you know, oh, who's, Azrael. Yeah, yeah, what's his deal? <laughs> Um, yeah, I guess there were a lot, like, because in that episode with Echo, we were talking about all the different Superman and, like, Death mm-hmm. of Superman. I guess that, like, really, like, at this, was that the same time? Did Batman get broken around the same time Superman It was around was the same time they started, like, just pulling stuff down. Let's see what happens. Yeah, <laughs> give it a shot. Uh, and then, and they, even Marvel even did some of that stuff, too, where they'd start to, like, because not long after that was, like, the Clone Saga. Oh, and Ben Riley and all that yeah. Spidey stuff. and X-Men were dying and then coming back all over the place. And then the Fantastic Four were, like, I think that was around the time when the Invisible Woman was turned into Malice for a while. Do you remember I Malice? I do not remember that. It was Invisible Woman, and she just kept getting, like, bustier and bustier. <laughs> and you're like, mm, this is weird. Uh, and then, I, I can't remember, it might have been Psycho Man or someone somehow got into her head, and she turned into, like, evil Invisible Woman who, like, dressed like Madeline Pryor, like sexy invisible woman. She's doing all this evil stuff and it was terrible. I hated it. Like I just, even now whenever they start to like, we're going to dismantle this character into something edgy. I'm, I'm done. Like I just, like if it's not, if it's not resolved by the end of the issue. Yeah. <laughs> it's like so tedious to me. Uh, and as a kid it was too, cause I was like, no way I want the fantastic four to be a family. I want Spider-Man to be down on his luck and, and quipping all over the place. And I like Batman when he was like solving crimes and, and brooding. But not, you know, just sort of like completely miserable. Yeah, well, I feel like the animated series did such a good job of capturing what is iconically Batman, but still had its own sense of style. Yeah. Which even the Burton movies, even though Burton, like, apparently didn't know anything about Batman, didn't give a shit about Batman, I feel like it was style over Batman, and that was at least interesting. Yeah, and they both do something of going back to, like, this, like, when Batman started, whatever, 1930, whatever, right? Like, um, like, the aesthetic of the movie and the series kind of go back to that to like the cleanest version of him Mm -hmm. before he was punching like sharks and stuff like that was such a simple clean version of it and i think they were smart to go oh yeah like that works you can slot anything into that year one did that there was stuff happening Mm -hmm. in the comics too but like that's i think what the my favorite thing about this animated series is is at his core batman is crazy simple so then you can throw anything at him because he's going to be this sort of guy like it's not going to be and then this and then this they didn't tweak they didn't tweak the batman formula Mm -hmm. they then just tweaked well what does batman deal with formula which is which is great well let's talk about the movie what were your feelings now that you saw it again as an adult uh adult adult (laughs) yeah it it was uh i liked it it's it's crazy and it might just be because it's crazy how it makes sense if they were going to do it for a direct-to-video thing first where like it does not feel like a f- movie that would be on a big screen. Like sometimes the animation just feels like the TV show. And it yeah. feels very small uh, in the way they pull it off, which is might have been contributed to to it, it not doing well in the box office. Um, but like it's really interesting to watch as they like sort of deal with some of that stuff because it's even the Joker feels a little bit like tacked on. He is definitely second yeah. banana. It feels like yeah. he was in there almost as a way to pull in an audience yeah uh which i kind of liked that he was i mean we talked a little bit about this off mic Mm -hmm. about about the joker's role in this you were kind of comparing it to the dark knight yeah it feels it it feels very similar in some ways to the dark knight where the real story 
is happening and it's got the phantasm it's got the mob and the phantasm is murdering the mob different members you don't know what's going on you don't know what's happening here and then the joker kind of wanders in uh and the mob makes a mistake of bringing him in and then you it's like that sort of genie out of the bottle and then the joker takes over and is just killing people and fucking around um which is very similar to the plot of the dark knight yeah um and like watching that, I was kind of blown away by how much, how many pieces from this show up in the Nolan world, and you know, ten years over ten years before, which is fascinating because it's a smart way to do it. And even just the first, the uh, the I think the Abe Vigoda character going to the Joker and be like, uh, "Batman's killing us. We need your help." He's like, "Okay." And the first thing he does is kill him. <laughs> like yeah. he just kills him and puts a bomb on the guy. Uh, in a terrifying one of the yeah. most terrifying sequences as mm-hmm. a kid I remember being very excited and scared when he would whirl that chair around yeah. even like him wheezing into like him having emphysema yeah pretty really intense. bizarre uh, and just that idea of the Joker has just been like sitting in this world's fair heavily implied fucking a robot yes like very heavily implied that he is sleeping with the mom robot uh, and just not just like w- waiting like Beetlejuice for someone to summon him for some reason to he is unleash very himself, <laughs> which is like I, I love that element of it a lot. And even like the way Batman handles like oh, Joker, you know, like I'm dealing with this other thing. Now the Joker's running around again, which that's one of my favorite things I think about Batman universe in the world is like there's all these problems that could spring up at any given point because Batman doesn't kill he knows that each and every one of them will show up again yeah um, which is just like that horrible stress of like all it okay someone paid Clayface to <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> deal with this okay maybe fine. if I just once yeah just some of these guys it'd be okay well, I feel like the Joker is more interesting when he's not the focal point sometimes. Yeah. Or at least in a story like this, like the more you learn about the Joker, the less scary he is, like yeah. any monster. Yeah. Uh, so like the fact that he is kind of in the sidelines and he just gets to come in and kill people and or make them laugh. Yeah. In the, the, the set, the councilman, the, like the red hair yeah. of who the Joker, you think the Joker is, I think the way they design him looks like the Joker. Uh, yeah. And then, and then Matt, yeah, he's into that hospital bed and can't stop laughing because of the joker gas they calm him down and batman kind of tortures him by triggering it again and like it's like the last shot of him is like terrifying with him laughing and like like his body all twitching and it's really weird it's very intense i feel like they got away with like a little bit more adult stuff in the film i mean they have blood and teeth are knocked out yeah oh Uh, yeah i forget the joker gets a tooth knocked out well let's talk about phantasm herself okay spoiler alert yeah (laughs) i don't know uh well, I, I feel, this is a love story. Like this yeah. is a romance, which mm-hmm. is interesting. I guess even more so. Like, what, how did you feel about the flashbacks? The the device of kind of getting lost in that end of things. Yeah, I liked the flashback. I think the only downside to those flashbacks is just how much it telegraphs that who it's going to be. Yeah, because you're like, well, we wouldn't be watching this if this woman wasn't. Right, she shows up the exact same time yeah. the phantasm does. But it, like accepting that, then like I, I like them showing young Bruce Wayne again. Probably the first filmed version of that, right? Like of him going out for the first time and him dealing with, yeah. you know, being sort of like they draw him thinner, which I like. He's not as muscular, and he's happy. Yeah, and he's like that. I don't know. I, I liked that. I thought that was really interesting and cool to see. Uh, and I like her being him without the no killing code, which mm-hmm. is basically all it is. It's him without the no killing code, and I think that's 
great because usually when they do that, it is like Azrael or whatever. Or even like this episode, lockup was kind of the same sort of thing. Where is this the guy who's like, well, you know, like we'll lock him and torture him, and it's like, well, that's yeah. gone a little too far. Yeah, yeah. There's like a middle ground between, and I'm loving the murder and Batman, and she, Andrew Beaumont, and as the Phantasm is kind of it of like she's getting revenge uh, instead of justice. Yeah. Uh, which is a great line. And you line sympathize with her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's got a cool scythe hand. Oh, man. Doesn't get to use that much, clearly because it's a kid's show and you want a lot of stabbings. Right. It gets dissolved off her hand pretty fast. Almost immediately. Yeah, but it's like, oh, but that, hand, that scythe hand, it's so cool. Yeah, it shoots gas more yeah. than it slices things. <laughs> yeah, because basically everyone just, the way she kills people never involves that. She pushes a gravestone onto a dude. Mm-hmm. She gets that car to drive out of a building. Which is a pretty cool action yeah. sequence. Like, I was like, oh man, I, I'm invested in this like a real action movie. Watching it fly from one window yeah. to the other was pretty cool. And that actually surprised me as a cartoon. I was like, oh, cut to, he's in his hospital bed, wrapped up, and I was like, oh no, gravestone. That dude's dead. Uh, which, they, I forgot Batman would kill people. Like, not Batman, the Batman the show would kill people. Yeah. And the movie was like, yeah, well, we can definitely do it because it's a movie. When normally it's sort of like, oh, he's barely holding on. Anyway, yeah. we'll never talk about him again and pretend he's dead, but just so we know. In this one, it was like, no, it's fundamental to the plot that they all die. Yeah. Yeah. And the guy gets smushed. Yeah. Flat out smushed. I love that sequence. That's like a classic horror movie sequence. Yeah. That sequence feels like old EC Tales yeah. from the Crypt. Uh, and in fact, a lot of the Phantasm stuff does. It feels like EC horror comics. Of that's what that's the formula they all pay played. Of like people do something bad and they get their just desserts. That's like ninety yeah, percent of them morally reprehensible people. Yeah. So we can be okay watching them. And that sequence in particular of the old mob boss. He goes to the grave. He says, "You always were a loser," and he throws the thing, knocking over the flowers. It's like, okay, you're dead. Uh, and then that irony of him tripping and falling into the gravestone and the thing falling in. Like it feels like those old. Um, Tomb of Horror sort of deals which I think was really interesting to put in and fit in with that world perfectly. I'm sure they're fans of that kind of stuff too yeah <laughs> any chance you can get to throw in something a little spooky yeah uh, I remember imitating the Phantasm's voice. I had the action figure. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, you... And also, the action figure was revealed, like... In it, the packaging. With her... Yeah, she, yeah. Her face is there, and then, like, the outside of it is, you know, like, you see the Phantasm next to her, but it was like, well, you spoiled the movie. Yep. And But the uh, with the mask on, she just sounds like Stacy Keach. Yeah. Right? Which is her dad. Which is cool that they use the same voice. Yeah. I wish he... I wish there was a little bit more to kind of, like... Yeah, I guess throw some more suspicion off of her onto, like, if she, even if she had, like, a fake kind of, like, Stacy Keach, like, or the dad yeah. in the shadows or something like that. Yeah, make him, because there, there was, you go, okay, may, there's basically two people it could be, and she's one of them. Mm-hmm. Because you don't, you assume it's not Stacy Keach since he only appears in flashback. Right. Um, and it is kind of cool the way they play that out, but they're, and it's also, it's for children, so, you know, you don't want to make it too complicated. Um, but the way they roll stuff out is great if they had just had a few more people in that world to go, maybe it's this person, maybe it's this person, you know, like yeah. that I think would have been beneficial to them. That said, I was surprised rewatching it how much they packed into the movie. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is like, these are two stories. And I, I, I would get lost in the flashbacks forget that that wasn't what I was watching. Like, it was a flashback. And yeah. when it would, like, go back to, you know, present day, I was like, oh, oh, yeah, this okay. is what was happening. He was spying on her with binoculars. Like <laughs> yeah. a real creep. Yeah, real, real. Perving it up. A real beautiful shot yeah. of him spying. But, yeah, definitely perving. It has one of my favorite, uh, in the 
my favorite dumb Batman outwitting people things I've ever seen, which is Batman puts his cape on a sawhorse yes. and then attaches it to a, uh, a helicopter and everyone shoots at it. And then they're like, oh, it's a sawhorse. <laughs> also, he did it very quickly. Yeah, very, I couldn't do that ever. Uh, and it, that's one of my favorite things in the whole uh, uh, episode because it's like this tense, dramatic moment. But the reveal of the saw has then cuts to Bullock being like, foiled again by woodworking utensils. <laughs> I feel like in this movie, Bullock and Gordon, everybody's kind of like, they're like broader versions of themselves. Yeah. It's like, cool, this is for an audience that maybe doesn't know who these people are. So they're like fitting their archetypal roles. Yeah, because yeah, B- Gordon's almost only lines in the whole thing are always, it's not Batman, he doesn't kill. And then Bullock, which the show does such a good job of making... First you're like, oh, he's the bad cop. But as the show goes on, it does such a good job of making him know he's just a cop who's beat down by this system. He's a little crooked, but he's not evil. Yeah. Uh, and then here he snaps back around to being like, I hate Batman. That's that's my thing is, yeah, I don't like Batman. And I was like, cool, that's enough. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, he was, I mean, I felt like the side characters didn't get as much to do. They introduced yeah. so many new mobsters, like Rupert Thorne, who's like a regular Batman mobster yeah. in the animated series. Doesn't show. I guess because he would have to die. Yeah, they Alfred gets some good stuff to do because <laughs> since they're flashing back and he gets that fun moment when they first put on the mask and he just gets my god like seeing Batman in the mask is like a nice bit of like just a very simple simplistic moment that's really plays that because you don't even see what he sees it's from batman behind batman yeah but you see alfred's reaction to the suit which is so much smarter because nothing that you could see in this cartoon or even maybe in a live action movie would really be as impressive as the reaction from somebody else yeah and especially someone who knows him it's not like the first person to see a vigilante it's yeah alfred knows this is coming he knows bruce he knows all this stuff and he's still sort of stunned by the Batman suit is like a, is like great it's much better than thinking like any in any of the movies like the live action movies the I think that moment is better I love Michael Caine as Alfred but I love him because he's Michael Caine yeah. not because it's a good Alfred yeah I feel like there's no emotional connection really there at least yeah especially in the third movie yeah uh, it feels like he's talking his emotions at him yeah and it feels like it does. You don't get that sort of. There, there's something about. I can't remember the voice. Do you remember the voice actor's name who does Alfred? Uh, Ephraim Zimbalist yeah. Jr. There's something in both in the way the character's animated and his voice acting that conveys the love he has for Bruce, but still behind the the sort of stiff British tone. And when yeah. that cracks, it's incredible. Like because it's it tends to be sort of like. Straight manning Batman and calling him out a little bit, um, but you still get the sense that he cares about this character. And then every now and then, like in that moment of my God, where you get to see Alfred emote, then those always sort of like pack a punch. Yeah, there's just warmth to his performance. Mm-hmm. I yep. love that. And also, we get some goofy Alfred walking in on some hanky panky. Oh yeah, moments. that keeps happening. Yeah, they keeps, have, that's a runner. Just trying to bring that <laughs> lemonade, and they're just too busy making out. I like to think that he's always trying to bring the lemonade yeah. over like the course of 10 years. Yeah. Like he keeps bringing the same old gross lemonade. Yeah, it's just the ice has melted. And <laughs> now it's weird separating. Mold is kind of floating on the top. I made it. I'm not going to waste it. <laughs> Alfred, come on. It's real cheap and I'm a billionaire. One uh, of the things I like about this movie, uh, and, and I don't think I realized it again until I just rewatched it, was 
there's always that superhero trope of like I can't, or really Batman, but a lot of darker superheroes like I can't be in a relationship because you know I would hurt the people I love. Yeah. But in this, he does like open himself up, and it's like oh, this is why Batman doesn't have a relationship. Yeah, yeah. He they do a really smart thing because they start going down that road, and then he changes his mind. He's like no. No, that's great. Yeah, okay. Uh, and then when she runs out on him, when she disappears, and as far as he knows, runs out on him, um, and just disappears in the flashbacks, it's not a, it's not Batman's choice. It's it's hers, um, in a way. And like which that, is cool because he's a, he's always in control. Yeah, it's so it's so gratifying to see him like not be able to control something, and it's not because it's a supervillain doing yeah. anything. It's just his heart. <laughs> yeah. And she also has, like, the best Batman zinger, uh, where uh, it's not in one of the flashbacks. It's when he, like, appears in her apartment. Uh, they kind of have an argument, and she says something like, uh, only one person here is controlled by their parents, uh, which is great. Because yeah. I don't think he knows that she knows at that point, right? Like, no. But that's sort of, he realizes that she's talking about Bruce Wayne. Uh, but then they just they let that land and then he leaves and it's not a whole thing but it's a great line directed at Batman yeah and then she cries on a yeah. bed she cries on a bed which I was like oh yeah we really just took the punch out of her I get it maybe in real life you would do that but I was excited about this strong female yeah. character that she just she curls up uh, which means so hunky though yeah she's really hunky that I can't, she job. really she really blew it yeah I would have liked her to call out be like you know your face is fatter now Bruce yeah like, you're a lot fatter and yeah. like I I don't have to date you yeah anymore. every time I think back to what it was like before your face is a little more trim and now you got that big old square face cut to him crying on his yeah, bed curled and Alfred up just bringing in lemonade lemonade turning around walking away <laughs> oh. mm-hmm. uh, I guess did, in that case did they ever use Phantasm again, or is it only here? Yeah, I've never encountered it in the comics, but I might just be wrong. I don't think Phantasm has appeared in mainstream DC comics, but there is a direct sequel to this that Paul Dini wrote uh, oh, wow. for like the animated comics, and it was like Batman and Robin Adventures. I think yeah. it was one of the many animated ones, uh, and it was pretty good uh, actually. Read it. It's it's it has like a you know it's a twisty turny yeah. sort of. Basically, the Phantasm shows up again, but it's not her. her. I don't know. You'll see. Uh, and then there, she actually shows up in Justice League Unlimited. Oh, really? Yes. It's I've like watched that. Must have just forgotten. A huge, you know, like uh, the final season where you, basically you find out that Terry McGinnis is a clone or yeah. like half a clone of Bruce Wayne. Yeah. So it's like his DNA was being you know, like Amanda Waller was controlling all yeah. of this. And there's a flashback to. Amanda Waller hires the Phantasm to come in and try to replicate the death of Terry's parents. And she doesn't say anything, but basically it was like, I knew that she would be the one who would understand that we need a Batman. Huh. And then you see the Phantasm, like, you know, he's coming out of a movie. They, like, send him to, like, a zorro kind of thing. And the Phantasm just kind of, like, she decides not to. She can't. And, like, I think you see, like, old Andrea with, like, gray hair or huh. something. It's kind of a fun... Yeah. It is weird. I wonder why... I mean, it might even be a rights issue or something, but, like... Seems like how often DC reboots their entire continuity. It seems surprising that they haven't found a role for Phantasm in their comic universe, really, because it's. I'm sure there's enough nostalgia for it. It's definitely got a cult thing. Yeah. Uh, and it's a great character design. Like yeah. I really love the character design. Like I'm surprised they haven't found a way to do that, even if it's not 
with the even if they get rid of the romance element and mm-hmm. that it's still something that's surprising i heard that the phantasm was loosely based on a character that appeared in batman year two. Oh really yeah i haven't read it so yeah, i don't know either. but it's something similar but different like i think the design is you know yeah. its own sort of thing but there's like somebody like reaper or like some some sort of phantasmy themed huh. villain um, I don't think Phantasm is ever called Phantasm in the no, movie. No, I was, yeah, they never, it's just, because everyone thinks it's Batman for the first two acts. Right. And then after that, her mask is off and they're just fighting the Joker, basically. Yeah, I think it was just for the title. The original title was supposed to be Batman Masks, just that, and I think they were, like, upset that, like, Warner wanted to call it yeah. Mask of the Phantasm, but... Batman Masks. I don't know, I can't, I, I like Mask of the Phantasm Yeah, I mean, more. Batman Masks sounds like, that, that's the thing you'd only think of before the age really of google because that would be you google that and you would just get halloween costumes like that'd be the most frustrating thing to try to find i literally cannot find a copy of this film going back to the joker too there's one the only moment i kind of don't like is they're playing the joker as his sort of like i'm a lunatic and i don't care and i'm gonna do whatever Mm -hmm. and then he freaks out when batman jumps on his jetpack and it's like, you'll kill us both. And like that one moment kind of contradicts everything that was coming before where they were playing Joker's like, he doesn't care. Like he'll just, you know, he's happy to die. Uh, and that one yeah. line, I was like, oh, I think that's just because you needed the ending. You needed the, you know, the sort of... The stakes needed to be articulated. Yeah. But the way, where it ends up going, he easily could have been like, okay, great. I'm going to crash us both into a ha- building and like just, you know, that... Well, because he, he is happy. Yeah. Like as he's like, you know, she, that, that shot is actually like, that's one of the most beautifully animated shots. It's yeah. Like, I think we just, we talked about it earlier, yeah. but like when everything's on fire and she's like just holding him and he's just cackling yeah. and everything's... And he's like, great. He, he knows he's going to die and he's thrilled with it. Yeah. That is where they had a Jetpack Joker action figure. Really? That I I got a loose out of package. <laughs> I bought. I spent forty dollars, I think, on the Phantasm action figure as a kid. I saved up. It was at like a comic book shop. It was so ex- it's insane that that's how much it was yeah. then. Then yeah. Uh, and the Joker, I got like it was like fifteen dollars for, and he was missing like his little hat too. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just had like uh, you got Joker's little hat. Yeah. Though. Well, that was the only thing that made him really different than yeah. the other Joker figure. Because the jetpack is not impressive. It looks like two shower heads strapped to like one oxygen tank on his back well, let me tell you the action figure replicated that <laughs> <laughs> I love the design of the whole World's Fair thing I know it's I one love... of the best set pieces the show ever did or at, as a movie but like that that the big robots singing about the future and the fact that you get to see it in its glory days in the flashback and yep. then cut to the, as Joker's weird house just a dilapidated I guess I love theme parks so yeah. it's like just fun to see Batman run around and fight in a theme park. Also, the miniature set piece where like yeah. Joker does that really Looney Tunesy gag where he's wearing a building as a hat, <laughs> yeah. but it's still like a really brutal fight. Yeah, he like, smashes. He's trying to stab, he's him, trying to with stab the him through Chrysler the Chrysler building or something. Yeah, which is crazy. There's also the weird little like one of the buildings is the Warner Brothers building. Yep, very prominently, very prominently placed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and of course, you know, it wouldn't be a Joker set piece if there weren't little robot airplanes that yeah, attack just you, buzzing around that cut him. Uh, I think that goes back to like there was a Christmas with the Joker had some of those. Oh yeah, and I think they caught him in a cape. And <laughs> it's also like I like Harley Quinn as a character a lot, but almost exclusively in the animated series. Like the last probably ten years of Harley Quinn, I think is just gross and disgusting. Yeah, um, well, it's just like a different. She's just been pushed in like a sexual, like fetishized. She's version. She is a. 
she's like an insane clown posse like fuck toys yeah betrayer now is like pure sexualized none of like it was it's so rare to get a super villain that's a that's a female that isn't sexualized yeah uh and for a long time she was which i think like is great for kids to see and now she's now she's more sexualized than poison ivy even um but in this one i kept because i couldn't remember she's in it. i kept waiting for her to show up but i'm glad they didn't because it's so much cre- he's living in a robot house with a robot dog and robot lady alone who he's reprogrammed to stab to stay yeah <laughs> to stab and again maybe fuck yeah uh like and that's it and there's no he doesn't have henchmen he doesn't have anything he just is alone in like this collapsing world's fair and that makes him such like a weird just like what what has he been up to until this mobster showed up like he knows where batman is he could go after batman and he hasn't been he's just been waiting for someone to like trigger him into action i think that's like a great i I love that about the movie he's just i mean he's like a he's like a (laughs) to me like a D &D boss or something (laughs) just like sitting there waiting waiting. like okay i am in this room until they show up (laughs) uh i feel like harley also is like well she's she brings humanity to the joker it's like we don't want that in this movie yeah we want her to be gross and terrifying yeah yeah he's uh I, I i would love for them for them to get back to that version of harley quinn though Instead of the me too, just like belly exposing corset and underwear murder clown, which is there's already a murder clown. It's the Joker. <laughs> yeah, like and having her like even her costume, she was so there's something so great. She was covered head to toe in that jumpsuit and just like cartwheeling around, looking non-threatening, and then almost murdering people uh-huh. was infinitely more interesting. And that's part of what too like I felt when they started teaming her up with Poison Ivy a bunch. That was interesting of like, okay, she's childish. Poison Ivy's whole deal is that she's like very sexualized, even the cartoon. That was interesting. And now it's just like... Yeah, now it feels like fan fiction, like erotic, like slash. Is it... Did the Arkham games start that? Or was it already on that way? Because in the Arkham games... You know, I'm not sure. Arkham games, I'm I'm not a fan of that design at all. No. Uh, She's like... It's like a French made costume. Yeah. But like amped up. Mm Yeah. I don't know. I'm not... Yeah, I feel like I only... I really don't follow that many Batman comics now. I really only read the Snyder one. Every now and then I'll dip into the other ones and I've, I've just not cared. You know, I think Arlene Sorkin, going back to Harley, uh, the voice actress uh-huh. for her, did have a cameo in the movie when I was looking it up. She played uh, what can only be described as the Asian woman who looked like an alien. Who had no eye... Who it had was no, very weird. Yeah, I... I uh, my wife and I were watching that and like there's two female characters who look normal and then an Asian female character walks in opens her eyes and they're pitch black like there's no pupils or whites it's just black like yeah. when the oil in the X-Files would like yes. go into people and take them <laughs> over like it's so baffling it was very strange because I, there are other Asian characters on the show, and that is not the way that they are depicted. And it's, and also, that's weird to do that. Yeah, like, to be like, hey, white people get these normalized. Uh, yeah, Asian people get these nightmare like, and it's to the, it's it must be an animating mistake. It must be a mistake. I think it might. Think- it has to be. I feel like it was a, I don't know why but I feel like it was a choice like it was like a design choice to make her Here's my argument for it being a mistake is in that <laughs> same scene and I don't know why I know this cuz I normally never care about this stuff there is a 
uh, in the background, right behind Bruce Wayne as he's talking to that shitty, like, the guy that's the red herring, yeah. there's, like, a woman with talking to someone, like, a kind of fat woman. Uh, and then it cuts to a different angle, and it comes back, her dress and her hair are different. Uh, but she's still there. Interesting. Uh, and so, like, that's obviously a coloring mistake. So then I wonder if some color somewhere is like, this character's an alien, right? And someone went, what? And they heard it as yes. And so then they animated his, her eyes to be these horrible... We things. also, every, char- every character we redesigned to look like this alien woman. Yeah. It, uh, it, hope that doesn't screw up the picture. Yeah, we don't have the time. Just put it out. <laughs> it, I mean, it was very... Because it didn't bother me as a kid. I was just like, oh, that's weird. Uh, I guess. But it was like very jarring to see. And it's also happening in a moment that for... What was the movie? 93? 94. Yeah. Like, they're purposefully populating the world and background and side characters with not just Caucasian people. Like, in that scene, there's an African-American woman, there's yep. a white woman, and then the, the, an Asian character. And they're, they're trying to do that. They're obviously purposefully doing this. Uh, but it does take something away when you imply that the one Asian person in the scene might be the spawn of yeah, the Yeah, when you otherize the, yeah, the person. To a degree that is really horrifying. Yeah. And she's also a huge dummy. Oh, yeah, she's a real idiot. I'm yeah. for engagement. Yeah. I was like, now I realize that's why. Of course that was Harley Quinn. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we just read it as it's a Harley Quinn costume. That's what it, it is. it was Harley Quinn just creeping around, and then they just... This is pre-psychologist Harley yeah, yeah, yeah. Quinn. That's just what she was up to. <laughs> she's weird to... contacts. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, by You that. know what? I feel okay about it. Yeah. Well, you're a writer and a director mm-hmm. and an improviser, comedian, but like, uh, has... Has this show or the series kind of, is there anything that you can link to influencing you in any way? Or, I mean, maybe not directly, but are there takeaways that you like? I think one of the things that, like, you know, working in comedy as a writer and director, there are probably two things. One is the, uh, I think, don't talk down to people thing. Mm -hmm. Like, I just, um, it's not going anywhere, it's dead. But uh, my wife and I had written a pilot for Disney um, that was a kid's show. Uh, and it was like one of our main things was the shows we liked as a kid, this, the adventures of Pete and Pete and and stuff like that were all shows that embraced the world for what it is, toning down some of the rougher edges, just because you're not going to show a scythe going through someone's neck in a kid's show, but still being like, but yeah, like people react in human ways. And I think like for that project in particular, like we talked about this show a little bit, like, oh, this was something we liked. And that was part of what we responded to is, you know, people behave like human beings, not like human beings in a kid's show. And I think that's what this show does. And some of those other, P&P is another one that takes place in a fictionalized, weird world, but they still behave in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the other thing that is a great takeaway from this is it's like, Context and tone is everything. Uh, like, if this was just a Batman cartoon and it just took place in a world, we wouldn't be talking about it now. No. <laughs> um, and it, ta- it, we can all picture it because the context of the world and the tone of the world is so clear. And I think in terms of, like, really all great cartoons and probably all great kids shows are tone-based, I think. This is, I think, Adventure Time is. I think The Adventures of Pete and Pete is. Um, I think when you can go back even to, like, there's something about, and I'm sure it's very popular still, but those early days of Sesame Street where it felt like a city. 
Yeah, um, and, it, and it felt like a dirty city. Yeah, it was grimy, and 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 part part of it was probably just because they were lighting on the cheap. But <laughs> yeah. it was like the the ones that you tend to remember aren't. But Rocco's Modern Life was like had a weird tone to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then most of the ones that kind of just fade by, even ones that kids love, like uh, my nephew. Uh, like watches Dinosaur Train a bunch, and these are for much littler kids than this. I don't even know what that is. Di- it, you, it's called Dinosaur Train. You get it fully. Uh, <laughs> so it's a dinosaur that's a car. <laughs> no. Um, and uh, Daniel Tiger, and those are for very little kids. But there's something about like they're just, uh, you know, oh, they're educational and they just exist in this world, and there's no sort of tone to it. Um, but I, I think that is one of the big gifts that this had. That why something like the animated spider-man show from the 90s no one particularly cares about as much i I think that's why too i think dc has been very good with that with their cartoons because even i I think that this is sort of the gold standard of that but even in justice league unlimited and stuff there still is a tone that world makes sense and the rules aren't our rules but they stick to it and you compare that to something like i haven't watched all of it but when uh, earth's avengers earth's mightiest heroes was on Mm -hmm. like that one was just like yeah that's those are avengers sure uh, and I think that is one of the top things that in kids shows people lose, but then also in comedy people lose. Like I think great comedies tend to give you a tone, be it Shaun of the Dead, be it like the the way New York is portrayed in Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. uh, or something even more obvious like like Harold and Maude, uh, where it's really clearly like that we are defining the world for you so that what's funny can stand out or what's interesting for a kid can stand out. That's a good answer. <laughs> That's what I have to say to that. Uh, I feel like, well, even like tonally, like what they get away with, I guess it's like very grounded voice acting too. Yeah. Uh, I mean, one thing I did want to talk about before we wrapped up was uh, all the gravestone talking. All that, uh, that, yeah. that Bruce Wayne in the rain. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like pleading with his parents is very powerful stuff. And some of like Kevin Conroy's best voice acting, yeah. I think, in the series yeah, uh, I think early on, like you know, it, it, he was figuring it out, and like this really, I feel like solidified it. And it's decidedly Bruce Wayne and not Batman. Yes, um, and it's Bruce Wayne completely like shaken and unsure, which isn't a look the cartoon gets to that often. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like he'll be nervous and there'll be stakes, but like that's a like a Bruce Wayne that doesn't know what to do or what's going on, and I think that plays really well uh, and it helps commit it too, like because you have Hamill doing his Joker, which is spectacular, but you don't need to go pay it. When you've got Hamill doing Joker, let him take care of Big and uh, sort of flamboyant. Mm-hmm. And that works for the character, too. Um, and in the show, Harley Quinn sort of compliments that. But everyone else tends to be pretty, okay, we're going to be here. The The gangsters are kind of unremarkable in their... We're just people, you know. There's not a lot. Hey, forget we will but you these guys. Yeah, they're played at like they're played like kind of 1930s gangsters, yeah. but just enough. Yeah, and even the goons. There aren't that many goons in this one, but sometimes the show the show loved to have the goons be the boss. Yeah, I dropped a ball. Oh, it's the bat. Uh, and in this one, they tend not to do that. The first guys that he fights in the flashback that pull guns on him and aren't afraid of him. Those are just like there's no that dopey with thieves. It's just sort of like who's this guy? Yeah. All right, let's shoot him. You know, and then they just do it. Yeah, it's all. I mean, the the action's grounded. The, mm-hmm. I mean, Dana Delaney's casting. I feel like I was in a voiceover class, uh, like I want to say like in college, 
and uh, this was like a very prominent voice actor taught the class uh, and he one of the things he complained about was he was like he hated that Dana Delaney was cast as huh. uh, in the animated series and, and this would have has, been at least 10 years after yeah this case, that's and I think because like Lois Lane was such a big role yeah. and then you know because of this feature and it was like you know, I remember thinking like, oh, and, you know, he's like, she doesn't like you go big enough. Uh, yeah. And I re-listening to this, I was like, I don't know. I think that's why she works. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even, especially when like, because it's Stacey Keach in the mask or like doing the mask yes. voice. So like, I don't know where I'd want her to go bigger because there's something sad about it. You know what I mean? She feels her, her father was betrayed and she's getting revenge, uh-huh. but she's never cackling and it's never like. And then the world, it's just sort of like, I need to do this to feel right by myself. Yeah. And she knows it's wrong on certain levels, but still has to do it. So she's playing it pretty subdued of, I'm not a cackling mad woman, but I'm doing what I need to do. Uh, and again, you can't go, you're not going to be able to go toe-to-toe with, with Hamill. Like, there, there is that great exchange where he's like, uh, uh, where they start fighting and he goes... I like the outfit, a little theatrical, but oh well, who am I to talk? You know, like, which is such a great, him, like, the, what he brings to that when he's just sizing her up, sort of a new person in his world, and you kind of believe him of being like, yeah, he does like it, he loves this, um, but he's also a little pissed because Batman's his. and this Taken is his away world. from him. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that is part of it, is how non- superhumany they play it how non-villainy most of those people play it and it ends with a drunk guy that looks like Jughead approaching her on a boat <laughs> yep <laughs> or I guess that's b- before is that before or after they find the little locket in the back cave I don't remember no I think it's the end I think it's literally <laughs> the last thing is she's just on a boat and a drunk dude tries to hit on her hey yeah uh, okay yeah. sorry lady yeah, yeah he's actually pretty respectful yeah well, all he things was. considered I was he's like, like oh okay yeah well you know <laughs> um I don't fault him for giving it a shot. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, he was, like, the nicest, you know, hit on, okay, back away. Saw she was sad. Cool, okay, well, I'm going to head back into this boat. (laughs) Oh, are you literally crying and looking off into the distance? (laughs) With a veil, I think? She's got, like, a veil on. Which I guess is, like, a funeral Yeah, I couldn't understand who she was mourning. I don't know, I guess the death of her life. Or she's just trying to hide her face, but doing a bad job. <laughs> Very like, bad job. It's like a, the, a crop top version of a veil. <laughs> or she was getting married, and we don't know that. Oh, it might have been a wedding boat. I think that was her husband. Was, yeah. Hey, honey. Honey? Uh, I had too many. <laughs> Get back inside, Jughead. <laughs> cool. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Or It was fun re-watching it. it was, I'd forgotten how much of it was like Batman mythos. Mm-hmm sort of stuff yeah it's an origin story that the animated series never never got yeah i guess until then well cool thanks for coming on the podcast thanks for having me all right let's get to today's first guest alan burnett what's that two guests for the price of one and that price is none because you downloaded this for free yes that's true This one's more of a mini-view, which I guess is a word I just came up with, which means mini-interview. Surprising, right? Anyway, Alan Burnett isn't just the guy who came up with the story for this film. He's also one of the key writers and producers responsible for the animated series itself, and most recently, the direct-to-video Justice League Gods and Monsters. You can listen to him talk more in episode 14 of this podcast, Perchance to Dream, but for now, we're going to talk Phantasm.
Down with Alan Burnett. We're talking about Mask of the Phantasm. So you... I wrote an outline or a treatment, and it was pretty long. It was pretty detailed because I knew I was going to hand it out in sections to all my writers. I wrote like... Because there was no time for me to write the whole thing, but I wrote the first like 42 pages. In fact, I remember it's the first 42 pages, and then Marty Pasco wrote the next section, and Paul wrote the next section, and the last section was written by uh, Michael Reeves. And uh, it's, a, it's an odd way to do it, but it worked pretty well. And we all passed the script amongst each other and gave each other notes, and and uh, and uh, it really was a uh, that screenplay was a group effort by those people working on the show. Well, how did the story come to be? Because I know originally what, Warner's was looking for a movie or a direct-to-video movie, right? And Trial yes. was originally, like the, the episode Trial was maybe what it originally was going to be. Was There was talk of that. And at least I, I was reading an interview with Bruce from a little while ago, and he was like, we wanted to do Trial, and then Alan said, no, I got something cooking. <laughs> I just, uh, maybe it's because I just couldn't see what the personal story was for Batman and Trial. And I just uh, we hadn't done a uh, a love story, and we hadn't dealt we hadn't really dealt too much with Batman's background. No, I mean it is more about the villains a lot of the time. So yeah. we didn't really get into his backstory. So I thought it'd be interesting to uh, to uh, deal with a love story. So yeah. did you come up with Andrea? Yeah. She's what a wonderful a, character. Uh, yeah, she was um, Dana Delaney is was great. Yeah, this is pre-Lois Lane days. <laughs> Pre-Lois Lane. We loved working with her. You know, it's been a long time, but I just wanted to deal with a love story that was going, would have to go awry, of course, in the end, um, for him to continue being Batman. Sure. That's he can the, never be happy. Oh, there are so many women in his life that yeah. <laughs> they never end up panning out. In a way, there's a mystery in that story going on, too. Who is this guy who's... Oh, it's great. So um, that's what happened. <laughs> I like the way Bruce says, uh, no, Alan's got something else. Uh, well, I, and so did you come up with Phantasm as well? Like pretty much all of it yeah. came from you originally. Yeah, I mean, I would go like to Bruce and say, listen, I got this guy and uh, I'd like to have him, to, you know, he should be like a, a ghost. And uh, I'd like to have him have some sort of weapon. And I think actually Bruce came up with uh, that weapon. That, like the gas and the reaper kind of scythe? Yeah. The, yeah. For a um, hand? I liked Mysterio when I was a kid. Uh, on Sp- the Spider-Man, Spider-Man villain? Yeah. And that, he is very Mysterio to me. Uh, yeah, I mean, Mysterio is all about gas. <laughs> yeah, all about, yes. And it became a movie in a very odd way. Because Eric Radomski um, was creating the opening credits for it. And the opening credits were, 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 were it was a city in three three D, a, a CG city, and and really it was for its time. This was something that felt new. You know? I remember when I saw it, I was like, well, "How did they do this?" <laughs> yes, uh, and we we showed an executive at Warner Brothers just this opening. Which is completely separate from the movie, but he saw the opening. He said, "Hey, let's make a movie. Out of this. Let's release this as a movie." Just a roving, yeah. just roving around. Just, Did you have like that kind of like Latiny chorus? Uh, that was no. Or that, that came come later. That came later. Although I did hear a story about that, uh, that like the the chanting and singing yeah. are people's names it's backwards. Our, it's our names backwards in the credits. <laughs> yeah, 
It sounds legit. But Shirley Walker um, did all that. She was great. Um, she's an unsung hero. Well, no, people praise her all the time. Um, she's amazing. She was amazing. And, um, uh, you know, and came up with the Batman theme that I think is just the best. Dun, 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 dun. I love it. I've always loved that theme. Uh. But she was, uh, so she thought up all that stuff. I never even thought there'd be uh, music and uh, people chanting and singing uh, chorus in this thing. It's so intense. I mean, it's like you're in for a different kind of ride. This is Batman the Animated Series, but it felt more epic. Yeah. Well, so it originally started as a direct-to-video, and then you guys found out later that it was going to be theatrically released. What Did anything change once you found out? Well, I wish. <laughs> we were getting back this, this sort of DVD-quality... Uh, Animation. I'm going. Oh, this is going to be in the theaters. I, the ending better be good. And the ending has the best animation in. So thank God. You're talking about like that World's Fair fight. The, the World's Fair, the motorcycle and the in the air. And oh. There's a lot of that. The last 20 minutes, they put all the best guys on that. And so we felt like, okay, we're we have a movie, but it was close. <laughs> it was close. Well, I even I mean I think it's very I mean some of the best Joker animation in in the series overall I love like he's real creepy uh yeah, yeah he is um it feels darker than than you went typically yeah it, it, I mean yeah it is a little dark I mean we're trying to do a movie so we're trying to have some feelings in sure there. we had a good time making it but it was like frustrating cuz we there was a lot of retakes a lot of stuff where we had to get the best we could from the animation studios across the seas. So, so. Do you remember anyone like what was like one of the most frustrating things that happened? Um, just just getting in the animation and 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 realizing that we had to you know the next revised animation had to be better because it was it was and we would be cutting around some bad stuff too but um but you know what it's it is what it is you know it's a um it sure makes a good dvd today so uh oh yeah i mean i think a lot of people consider it their favorite batman film well it's it, it um I'm glad when people uh, say nice things about it to me because uh, we we put our hearts into it. Yeah, so, I love it. I mean, I used yeah. to watch it over. I know I still have the clamshell VHS copy because I can't oh bear to part with it, <laughs> even though I don't have a VCR at this point. I do have it on VHS just as like a memento. Yeah. Well, they're making a new Phantasm figure, which is cool. Yeah, I guess from the movie. Yeah. I, they're doing a lot of uh, figures from from the Batman animated series these days. So. Yeah. So, yeah. But it was we had a good time. Yeah, I mean, it was cool. I love the misdirect of the councilman who looks like the Joker. He's got a similar nose. Yeah. <laughs> As Hard a kid, Bachner. you're like, oh, it's got to be him. He was, and he was does the he 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 does the spooky laugh. At one time, he gets affected by the Joker. Yes. Guess. And it was Hart Bachner, and he was um, he was spooky in the studio. I remember thinking, oh God, this is great. Yeah, I mean He's that really got a manic laugh because it was uh, he was like crying and laughing, crying at the same and laughing. Time. He's the in the time. hospital, affected by the Joker yeah. gas. Yeah, and even that, Sal Valestra, I remember, like yeah. when he's swirled around when Batman finds him, and he's just all yeah. That those Joker grins were 
Yeah. Terrifying. Yeah. That's, uh, you know what? We couldn't have that character today. Not even, because uh, he smoked. We don't have smoking. Yeah. That get, gives you an R rating immediately. Well, it, may, it was scary as a kid. I mean, I liked it. But, it, I mean, also, he's 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 on a... He's an emphysema. He has emphysema, yeah. so that's definitely showing that it's bad for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yeah, that doesn't matter, though. But there was something wheezy, about him wheezing that was so yeah. uh, spooky. I mean, him on that, like, old world's fair ride when he first visits the Joker. Yeah. <laughs> I can say this because it was announced. We've been we're doing the Killing Joke. Yeah, and uh, and uh, I w- and when we were doing the Killing Joke, I thought to myself, maybe I was thinking about the Killing Joke when I when I had that World's Fair thing. Um, it wasn't uh, I wasn't conscious of it though, but I thought, yeah, when Sal's on the getting a tour, the old rickety ride, the old <laughs> rickety ride. Oh, that's, I mean, that's one of the best set pieces in general in that movie. It's it's really great, uh, especially seeing the flashback of it and all of it operating and working well, and it's important to Bruce's life, and then seeing the Joker take over, yeah. it's now important to him in a different way, and it's kind of being tainted. So, I... Any any other questions? <laughs> uh, where did that was it? Maud <laughs> was it the robot? What not the ro- that robot in the World's Fair? Yeah. What was her name? I don't remember off the top of my head, but uh, one of my favorite parts was that something that you had come up with, or was that a like board? No, that was something I came up with. You, uh, you know, there was a line about electricity, but put the old electricity in our relationship, or something like that. I, I it loved it. And no, that was uh, that was written in. Some of those that, that dialogue was great. I mean, it was also it had this like real dark sardonic comedy. Like it was that kind of Joker. <laughs> yeah. He was scary and funny perfectly. Yeah. The script was. I mean, we we kept honing it and honing it and honing it. There was only one page that never got changed, and that was the page. And Marty Pasco wrote this scene in the uh, cemetery where Bruce is talking about talking to his parents saying I want to be happy now. Yeah. You know, I didn't think this was going to happen, but it's happening and I and I want you to, you know, he's asking for forgiveness on some level. Um and that was the only page that really was not touched again. It's such a powerful moment. You don't usually hear him saying things that directly in the series. Yeah. Yeah. And it's what made Andrea so likable, too, is her kind of talking to her you know her mom. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at at the cemetery, like, and another reason why you were like, oh, she's great. There, nothing could go wrong with her. <laughs> yeah. She couldn't possibly be the phantasm. Yeah. Well. Um. Yeah. So. Who decided to bring her back for uh, unlimited? That would probably be Bruce. Yeah. And I got to tell you, I haven't seen it, so I'm not sure what happens. But uh, that would probably be Bruce. She makes a cameo appearance, kind yeah. of. Uh, they they weave her in. Well, Bruce is Bruce is uh, great about about using every element of the DC world again in different ways and all that. So he was terrific. Well, cool. Thank, Thank you me. so much for sitting down and talking with me. Uh, my, I enjoyed it. It's nice to. Uh, to remember the old days, <laughs> they were fun. It's hard to believe that, like what it was. It's been about twenty, twenty-five years almost. Yeah. So, and I had a good time. We all had a good time. Onward and upward. All right. All right. Thank you. 
And now, a word from our sponsor. Have you been left heartbroken by every attempt at a serious relationship? Have all of your partners been cat burglars, phantasms, or people who have a dad named Raish? Did you one time get tricked into marrying a talking plant lady? Then maybe it's time you tried a new six cassette series, Dating Batman Style. I know what you're thinking. How can I learn to date in just six cassettes? Well, I'll tell you. It's easy as B-A-T-M-A-N. B is for be distant. If your partner asks what you're up to, withhold the truth and give them a vague and mysterious answer like, I've got something to take care of, or a thing just came up. A is for always obsess. Find a virtually insolvable mystery, then spend every waking hour obsessing over the solution. If you're constantly staring at a microscope slide, your partner will eventually leave you alone. T is for turn away when you talk. Pretty self-explanatory. M is for mostly fight crime. Date night? More like date fight. You've got costume criminals and mutant crocodiles to beat up. A is for always obsess. Did you think I'd forget about reminding you to obsess? I never will, because I'm obsessed. See? Never stop obsessing. N is for never feel like the job is done. It isn't. Arkham is a revolving door of lunatics, and this final step should take up your entire life. Dating Batman style. Kiss your dating woes goodbye by never letting a single person into your heart. Available everywhere cassettes are sold. Brought to you by Foxy Lucius Records and the Wayne Funk Dation. Don't say Harvey, no. Say dating Batman style, yes. Today's guest, Kevin Conroy. Kevin Conroy has played Batman since 1992, from Batman the Animated Series to Justice League to the recent Arkham video games. You might also know him as Captain Sunshine on the Venture Brothers, which is real fun to hear. He's a Juilliard-trained actor and one hell of a nice guy. I'm so appreciative and blown away that he was down to do the podcast. I was honored to sit with him, and like a real idiot, I completely forgot to ask for a photo. So, this audio is the only proof. Please, enjoy my interview with Batman himself. Kevin Conroy. (laughs) Uh, That laugh you hear is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. How are you? Great. Good to be here. Yeah, thanks for doing the show. Thank you. I just came in from uh, New York Comic Con. Ooh, how was that? 167,000 people. That's growing. That's Oh, huge. it's really grown. It's <laughs> almost as big as San Diego now, which I think is 175,000. The nice. nice thing about New York, though, is that it's, it's so much more concentrated that you can really interact with people. Um, San Diego's gotten so big and so dispersed that it's like it's hard to really connect with with anybody. Um, New York is wonderful. There's a real intensity to it, and um, the people that come are just so devoted and so positive. It's a, it's a real positive experience. I always get a charge out of going to Comic Con. Did you do a Justice League panel this time? Did they have something? Yes, there was a reunion, right? There was a reunion panel. That's awesome. How'd it go? It was great. <clears throat> it was great. Am I blue? 
Ooh. Oh, man. I sang Am I Blue. There's that <laughs> Batman from This Little Piggy. There you go. <laughs> oh, that's the one place of my went crazy when I started doing that. Yeah, of course. I'm going crazy. I'm just <laughs> pretending that I'm doing okay right now. <laughs> it was funny. It was funny. Oh, man. I can't. You sang within the first minute of us talking. Do you re- that's amazing. Oh, no. It's all downhill from here. Uh, no, 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 no. I, I think that's a great place to start. <laughs> uh, I, I was trying to keep my cool, but driving mm-hmm. over here, I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to be talking to the Batman. Yikes. Uh, you are you're the definitive voice of Batman. You've heard that a million times, but I, I just have to say it for the umpteenth time. Like, Your performance is incredible. It's great. Thank uh, you so much. It's the voice that everybody hears when they hear Batman or when they think Batman. You know, it all happened so accidentally. Yeah, tell me about it. I had never done an animated character. It was the first audition I went on for an animated audition. Isn't that wild? Yeah. I had done theater. I had done television. I was a New York theater actor. I'd gone to Juilliard. You know, the whole typical actor story. And I'd done commercial voiceovers. Um, to supplement my theater income in New York, which a lot of theater actors do. And um, I was in L.A. doing a series. Uh, it was a very short-lived, like, couple episodes. Never got, got past that. And um, But while I was here, my voiceover agent said, uh, you know, they're casting this new animated show at Warner Brothers, Batman. I said, new? No. I said, hasn't that been around forever? And, and he said, no, there's never been an animated Batman television show. And I didn't even know that. And uh, he said, go over and, you know, meet uh, these people and see what they want. So I walked in. I had never heard of Bruce Timm or Paul Dini or Andrea Romano. It was the first day I met any of them. Oh, wow. And I just walked in and Bruce Timm said, so what, what is your familiarity with Batman? I said, well, I know about the Adam West show from the 60s. And he said, no, 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 that's not what we're doing at all. That's not it. So he explained the whole legacy of the Dark Knight, the, the losing his parents as a child and and um, growing up to avenge their deaths and to correct the evil of the world and this dual personality and living living in the shadows and this mysterious and I said my god you're this is like a a, a classic tragic hero this is a this is like a, a shakespearean kind of epic he said yeah there's a really there's a real classic element to it i said it's kind of like hamlet i said this is a this is a tragic classic kind of story. I said, well, let me just use my imagination. So it was just it was just a serendipitous situation where I made the right choice in that room on that day, and it happened to be the right choice for that character. I just used my imagination. And I think the fact that I had no preconceptions, I hadn't, you know, amped myself up for the audition. I hadn't I hadn't psyched myself in any way. It was entirely spontaneous because I had no preconceptions at all that I was free to just use my imagination. You know what it's like when you you do comedy, right? Yeah. You know what it's like when you just feel free and open. Your imagination just goes wild and you do a whole chain of references in your head and you're funnier than you could ever plan on being. Right. When you're present, you're going to be doing your best. You're going to be doing your best. And when you plan and plan and plan and plan, sometimes it's the worst. Oh, yeah. You can get in your head. and Get in your own way. Exactly. So this was just a situation where, you know, I'd been acting since I was 17, basically, and training and performing. So there was, you know, a good, what, 15, 20 years of, of background going into that day. Um, but at that moment, I was just 
using my actor instincts to make a choice. And it just got me into this very dark, brooding kind of husky sound that that came out. And, and, I, and I could tell by the reaction that, that they loved it. Did and they then stood up and clapped immediately? <laughs> no, but everyone in the booth started running around. <laughs> we I thought, got it! I thought, well, either I've really done something good or I've done something really... But the place is on fire. Really and like, shitty. <laughs> or, yeah, there's a fire drill going on. But um, it's, you know, I, I, I honestly believe, because I honestly believe that for any role, there are usually about a dozen actors who would do it just as well. It's a question of acting's all about choices. It's about making the right choice. And it, once you tell people the choices to make, they can play it. But directors never really know what they're looking for until they see it. You go in and ask people what they want. And they always say, well, just, just show me what you got. You know, give me your imagination. Because they don't really know what they want. And when they see it, they'll recognize it. They'll go, that's it. That's the character. But it's, it's a question of just making the right guess often. And once you've made that right guess and pursued it, a dozen people can imitate you. Imitation's not hard. It's having that inspiration to think of it in the first place that makes you unique. Um, so I just feel very, very lucky to have made that choice in that day because uh, I know there are dozens of other actors who could have and just didn't think of it um, because they saw literally hundreds of people. Yeah, that's Hundreds what I and hundreds. I mean, like 600. They, they saw actors for months trying to cast it. And there are, you know... L.A. is lousy with good actors. There are a lot of actors, you know. Um, so I'm just very, very fortunate. And then Batman the Animated Series, we had no idea that it was going to become what it became. Um, I remember, you know, you, you record first like a radio play. Right. I don't know if your audience knows this. And then those recordings go off to the artists and they paint the show. And then there's a process called ADR where you sync up the soundtrack with the visuals and you fill in, there's always extra mouth flaps or lines that have been changed or fight sounds that have to be looped in. So the ADR is the syncing of the visual with the sound. So ADR happens maybe six months after you've laid down the original voice track. So for the first six months, we were recording these things and sending these tapes out into the ether. We had sketches we saw what the characters were going to look like, but we didn't really know what the show was going to look like in terms of the lushness of the artwork and the money they were going to spend on it. They spent twice as much. Warner Brothers spent twice as much per half hour on that show than had previously been spent. And you see it in in the artwork. It's why when you look at them now, they still look so original and so fresh because they invested in those things. Full symphony score, Big casts. It's incredible. It's really insane good that they actors. Got to do that. They got everybody. It was it was the golden age at Warner Brothers. Uh, it was like the best shop in town. Yeah. And um, so then six months later, I was in the ADR studio with Mark. As it turned out, um, the Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill. And we were sitting there about to do you know the Batman Joker stuff, and the full the first footage came back, and we saw it on a full screen. In, a, in her studio, it was like whoosh, this symphony score comes up, and this this brilliant, brilliant color was like looking 
into a fully illuminated stained glass window. It was so rich because all the colors were painted against the black background. So everything just popped. I looked at Mark and I said, did you have a clue that this is what we've been working on? And he said, I, I am blown away. He said, this is the most beautiful stuff I've ever seen. And we just sat there for a while watching it. We felt sort of overwhelmed by it all because we're in the studio with these huge screens. And it was just so beautiful. And that's that was the first time I really realized what we'd been feeding into, you know, what 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 was in Bruce Tim's mind and Paul Dini's mind all that time. And then the audience really went crazy for it. Um, and then Batman, the animated series, turned into The Adventures of Batman and Robin, and that turned into Batman Beyond. You know, each time it evolved, it was because basically the, the, the writers run out of ideas, and they don't want to get ridiculous. They don't want to start reaching um, and, and coming up with goofy stories. So to be true to the legacy of Batman... Um, they they kept changing it to different shows to give it a different format. It was all about story ideas. Um, each time they changed to a different show, the audience was fully committed to the show that they had, and the network was, and the studio was. Everyone wanted more episodes, but it was really Paul and, and Bruce, Bruce more than anybody, who kept changing because he, he just wanted new inspiration. He wanted to try different things. He's Bruce, Bruce Tim is kind of like a... a we used to call him the boy genius at Warner Brothers because he's he's a brilliant, brilliant guy. And he was very young when we started. And he gets impatient with um, himself and with other people if they're not uh, up to 100%. And which is great because it inspires you to be at 100%. Right. Um, and he pushes himself to be too. So each time he he morphed it into a new show, it was because he just needed new ideas, and then it then it then it was uh, the Justice League after Batman Beyond. So, and then after that, it was uh, the movies, and um, now the games, the Arkham games. I mean, the fact that it kept evolving, no one ever anticipated that back in '92 when we started doing this 23 years ago. Well, I think that's what's so enduring about you playing Batman uh, is that. We've watched this Batman evolve over the years. Uh, mm-hmm. He feels like a complete human more than any other kind of animated characters I've ever he come is. across. Well, he is. That's what's so wonderful about Batman. He's yeah. such a complicated human character. He's not a superhero. He's a complicated, fallible guy, as he refers to himself, with issues. He's a, <laughs> and one thing he says, I got a lot of issues. And he does. He's. I love that about him. That's why I came up with the... The concept of using two different voices for Bruce Wayne and Batman, because I said, wait a minute, Bruce, he's the richest guy in Gotham. He's he's the most powerful guy. He runs his major corporation. He's the most eligible bachelor. Everybody wants this guy. And he puts on a cape and cowl and no one knows it's him. I mean, seriously, that's ridiculous. It's stretching credulity too much. So I said, well, let me try just slightly, you know, use my own voice for Bruce. And um, and maybe even lighten it up a little bit. In the early in early episodes, I, I used almost a David Niven kind of hmm. uh, role model for myself because I wanted him to be very sarcastic, very much a playboy. Um, there was a lot of irony in the early Bruce Wayne, which they got away from as the show got darker and darker and darker. Uh, but the early stuff was – there was a lot more humor in it. 
and 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 irony, and I got to use my upper register more in my voice. Um, they started writing away from that over time as the color palette got darker and as the show got darker. Um, and it just became very noir. Um, so they kind of went away from that, which was fine. It was Did just you a, miss that was a playing choice. that uh, element of Bruce Well, actors or? always want to play different colors. It's just yeah. as an actor, it's fun to, to stretch. Uh, so yeah, I did. I did miss that, but um, that's why when Andrea said, "How about singing Am I Blue?" I was like, "Yeah, I'm right there." You know, <laughs> I always, I, yeah, I always like to to mix things up a little bit. But I understood why Bruce went in that direction because he is a dark, um, you know, it's almost like a, you know, the original concept was by um, Bob Kane and Bill Finger. They created the Batman character. They were New Yorkers. They lived on the Grand Concourse in the Bronx, um, and they were broke. And they used to go to a park nearby in the Bronx called Poe Park. It's the old homestead of Edgar Allan Poe, who hmm. lived in the Bronx. The Bronx used to be the country in New York um, at the in the 19th century, in the earlier part of the century. My mother grew up in the Bronx when there were big parks there, and it was it was it was moving out of the city when you moved to the Bronx. Um, in later years, it became um, much more of a slum, really. Uh, but still, North Bronx is quite beautiful. North Bronx is, is gorgeous. Um, but anyway, they went to Poe Park, which is this lovely park in the Bronx, and they used to have writing um, sessions together. So when you think of Batman and the concept of the bat and this dark character and this noirness, and you think of Edgar Allan Poe, and his archetypical image is the raven and that concept. It, it, it all grew out of that. I mean, it's, it's so New York-centric. It's so much—they were so inspired by Poe. Um, isn't that interesting? Yeah, I just find that like fascinating. Yeah, like an urban darkness to Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, there's always some sort of uneasiness in a Batman story, no matter what. Even when things are resolved, it feels like there's, you know, something at the precipice of pushing through. There's again. always a tension there. yeah. I know. That's so interesting. I never knew that. Let me ask you this. Uh, you've played so many different iterations of Batman over the years. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've played, you know, this kind of version of Bruce Wayne in the early episodes. You've played young Bruce Wayne in Mask of the Phantasm. Uh, you've played old Bruce Wayne. <laughs> you've yeah, played... old Bruce Wayne. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're all coming out. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because everyone says, you know, how has he changed? The... The trick for me is is to be consistent. That's been the challenge for me over such a long period is is to be consistent because the fans of Batman are passionate and loyal. Um, they're really wonderful. They're they're not like goofy fans. They're 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 quite um, intelligent. They're they're well read. Oh, thank you. I, I, no, really. I mean, the people <laughs> I meet at Comic Con are. They're really interesting, you yeah. know, um, and they're very passionate about the character. They they know more about his background than I do sometimes. They'll say, oh, did you know this? And I'm like, I'm always learning from the fans. But if I was untrue in the voice, I would hear about it. Believe me. Well, how did you maintain that truth across? That's the, been the challenge is to maintain the truth of the character. And for me, it's been... For me, it's been the, the, the secret of of Batman and Bruce Wayne is 
is the murder of his parents. It's all about the darkness of his childhood. We're all... There, there was a wonderful book years ago called Prisoners of Childhood. Um, it was, I think it was originally was written, it was called The Drama of the Gifted Child. And it's about how we spend our lives uh, resolving issues that are started in childhood. Um, and you either resolve them or you don't, but you're dealing with them for your entire life, basically. For those first six years, what happens to you, um, you spend the rest of your life dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this this is so much about that. This This character is such a psychological profile of someone who's spending his years dealing with the tragedies of his childhood and trying to reconcile them. Um, so for me, it's not just a question of having a deep, dark, dark husky voice. It's it's about it's it's about getting in. It's it's an emotional place in the voice. You know what I mean? It's 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 a it's a dark, brooding. There's pain in that voice. Um, that's what's kept it fresh for me. Um, without it becoming, because you know, when you do any role for a long period of time, it can become a parody of itself. Right. That's always the trap. If you look at series on TV, you look at the first episode, and then you look at the one after nine years. It's usually a much worse show Coasting after nine years what... because they've just turning it on. You know, they become parodies of themselves. You look at the first year and you think, "Oh man, this was a great show," and you realize why it kept getting picked up. And then they basically, because it's hard to remain original for that long. Um, part of what kept me in line was Andrea Romano. She's a wonderful casting director. She really challenges you all the time. Bruce Tim is very challenging. I was just surrounded by really creative, challenging people who, if, if I wasn't really there, they'd let me know. Um, and I drew on my own. We all draw, all actors, they always say as an actor, you are your instrument. And you really are. And all you have to bring to a role is everything you've been in life. Everything you are in life. When I was at Juilliard, they used to say, part of your training should be going to museums. Because you want to be exposed to other artists. You want to have them affect you. You want to have them affect your work. Um, so it's, it's everything in life that's affected you. Um, I, I, I came from a very classically, uh, screwed up, uh, family, just like everyone else and, um, moved out when I was about 16, moved in with friends to finish high school, moved into New York when I was 17 and have been supporting myself ever since. Got a scholarship to go to Juilliard, got my first apartment when I was 17, um, Luckily, I was 6'2", and I had a deep voice. So everyone assumed I was in my 20s. <laughs> everyone just assumed I was in my 20s. I was 16. Um, I was 17 by that point. But um, So a, a lot of the issues Bruce is dealing with in terms of issues from childhood, I, I, I can draw on from my own. Uh, my family was very uh, challenged. Um, in many ways, um, as as many people's are, you know, no one's. Who was it? Was it Oscar Wilde that said all unhappy families are unhappy in their own way? <laughs> um, That's very true, and it's so true. Um, if you ask anyone, um, they have issues. 
Well, it sounds like you had, I mean, you had to have such drive and determination to, I mean, like what you kind of just briefly went through uh, to get a scholarship to Juilliard and to, you know, that young and, and kind of, you know, that that's incredible. That takes a lot of willpower. And well, you know, it's funny. It's the kind of willpower you have when you're young and it doesn't seem unusual. It's like, well, what else am I going to do? You know, it's yeah. just your head's strong at that age and you think no one's going to get in my way. And there's no choice, really. Um, my father was a, was, was a very um, difficult man and, a, and a, a really bad alcoholic. And uh, he um, was much older. Um, he, he was quite old. And um, he was born in, in 1910. So uh, by the time I was 16, um, it was get a scholarship or 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 don't go to school. I mean, he wasn't going to pay for anything. He couldn't. He was he was in and out of uh, detox at that point. Um, it was not a it was not a pretty scene. And all my siblings were much older and had moved on. Um, the house was being sold. My parents were getting divorced. My mother was really having a rough time. So I was basically on my own by default. Um, but it didn't seem at the time like a bad thing. It seemed like this is what I'm going to do. Yeah, also, this is life. This is all you know. This is all I knew. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I wasn't like sitting around crying about it. I was like getting a job as a mailboy so I could make money for Juilliard. And then I was a waiter and I was a busboy. I was always working at something. And um, uh, it was just what you do. It's like Bruce Willis used to be the bartender in the bar down the street from my apartment in New York, the Chelsea Central. And I just thought he was this really cool bartender. And then he got moonlighting. <laughs> what is Bruce Willis like as a bartender? Let's just take a side note there. He was just a cool guy. He was like a cool <laughs> neighborhood guy. But, um, you know, you do what you have to do. Um, there's that wonderful John Lennon line that I love so much. Life is what is, happens to you while you're busy making other plans. Um, you can plan on everything and down to the detail and life is going to throw you curveballs and you got to be ready to, to dance. Um, I didn't know I'd be a voice actor basically, which is all I do now. I started out training to be a Shakespearean actor, a classical actor, a Broadway actor. It's what I did. Um, life threw a bunch of curveballs. I ended up doing uh, voices. Uh, well, it sounded like you brought so much of your own experience to the role. That, I did. Like, that, that's is... what got me on talking about my childhood is that yeah. you you bring that to the character. Yeah. Everyone has passions from their youth, difficulties that they can draw on. And um and I drew on that. Did it was it ever difficult to constantly remain in that world, that zone? I mean, you're inhabiting that character. Batman, for the most part, is dark and brooding and tortured for so long. Uh, was you know, it's funny. It's it's funny you ask that. I, as a person, um, found it much harder when I was younger to be happy. That dark, broody world was kind of where I was yeah. when I was young. Uh, I was very old when I was young. By I think by default. I just had to take care of myself. And sure. I just... Uh, I, uh, some friends used to refer to me as the old soul. I was just an old guy when I was 16, 17. Um, I learned to be youthful as I grew older. And I'm much, much more childlike now 
than I was when I was a child. I was a very serious child um, by necessity. And um, I've, I've grown to be more childlike, which I think is actually what we all should aim to do in life. Right. There's no reason to throw that away. No. Like there's like an idea that society puts forth that's like, all right, uh, you've grown up. Now time to get serious. Get serious. It's like, no. Why? No. They have it right. No. They're not judging themselves. They're right. running around on a playground right. making believe. Right. No. Keeping that childlike quality is so important or finding it if you didn't have it. Well, because there's a so sense important. of wonder. Still. Yeah, exactly. That sense of wonder is so important about life, about everything, yeah. discovery, and appreciation of everything. Um, it's hard to become jaded if you appreciate everything around you. There's a lot of cynicism in Hollywood, a lot of jaded. Yeah, how do you people. keep above that? Because I say to myself a lot, to be honest with you, I, um, I, I do. I, I can't get into that whole Hollywood scene because it's, I find it sort of soul-destroying. Yeah. Um, people who get sucked into that tend to have, I think, perhaps more illustrious careers, but I'm not sure they're happier. You know, they know how to play the scene, play the game. Uh, I've never been good at that. I... Um, I'm a hobby painter. I go off and paint. I like to work on old houses. I get a place and I fix it up and I, you know, I do carpentry and stuff. I like to do things that make me feel fulfilled and happy. Um, I've never been a good uh, operator. I mean, I think that's what people are looking for in life, though, is finding the things that make them happy and doing them. Absolutely. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, well, how did you, let's, let's, Circle back to how did you fall into voice acting? Was it it was through Batman? Well, that was the first animated character I did. Actually, oh, the you... first audition I went on for a voice thing was when I was in, I was doing theater in New York, and um, I did the uh, I went into to the tagline for Paco Rabanne Cologne. <laughs> I remember because I got it. It was the first one I went on. What is remembered is up to you. It was Paco Rabanne. Ooh, Batman selling me. Yeah, clothes. I know. Right, I know. I'll buy it. Uh, and those five words or seven words or whatever it is made me more money than I made in theater that year. Now, theater doesn't pay anything. I mean, you can starve doing that. But that, let's see, what is remembered is up to you. Seven words um, basically supported me that year. And I thought, wow, this is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do this but then more. I didn't get another one for months and months and months. I just happened to get the brass ring with the first one because you usually go on hundreds of those things and don't get them. But um, so that's what got me into voice work was really just to pay for theater. That's incredible. So what, what was your first experience when you recorded a Batman episode? Do you remember what it was like? I mean, you were the star of the show. They picked you over everybody else. I know you've done it so much now, but. I think in the first episode, I was very. Um, I grew to be more comfortable. I grew to be more willing to make mistakes. The first episode, I really didn't want to make any mistakes. I didn't want them to think, ooh, we hired the wrong guy. Right. <laughs> I wanted to be really good, which means I was probably horrible. <laughs> um, and I was very... Um, I hadn't loosened up at all. And what I learned over the first... the course of the first, like, six months was that I was the only constant in all the shows. I was the one there every week. Yeah. 
there was a, a, a stream of guest actors or guest villains or I whatever. I imagine you had to be an ambassador of sorts. Well, that's what I started becoming. And um, Andrea saw what I was doing. And she pulled me aside and she said, I see what you're doing with the other actors. And we really appreciate it. Because what I was doing was I learned that if you goof a little bit with the other actors, it puts everyone at ease. They, they think, oh, it's okay to be goofy. That's great. And it makes them better actors. So I would tend to do something kind of goofy initially, um, making fun of myself, uh, just to loosen up the room. And um, I was kind of, I, I, I got the role of sort of being the master of ceremonies. And I realized that was the position I was in. And I would introduce the actors and everyone and, and make some goofy remark and joke with Bruce Tim on the mic. And and it would get everyone laughing and, and everyone would loosen up. And Andrea knew what I was doing. Um, I was intentionally getting the room loose. Well, that's great. I mean, you're breaking down that first barrier. Absolutely. So you can just connect with Absolutely. The Trying to get it done in like a minute, what would have taken a half an hour. Um, so it saved a lot of time, actually. Um, so that was a unique position I was in, in terms of all the shows. I was the constant. Yeah. Did you have any favorite guest stars that you got to work with or people you were just excited about who you admired or or and at the 100th episode <laughs> they put in a two-page spread in variety Warner Brothers to thank all the actors who had been on the show and when I saw all those names listed I thought wow this has been an amazing group of actors because Word got out in the early 90s that there was this really fun, hot show going on at Warner Brothers, and everyone wanted to do it. And people would come on, and, you know, rap people would come on. Before he did Law & Order, Ice-T came in. I said, what are you doing here? You're a rapper. He said, you kidding, man? My kids are going to shit when they hear my voice. <laughs> and, you know, it was great. Everyone wanted to do it. Um, people who'd never done animation came on to do voices. And when I saw that two-page spread in Variety, I thought, wow, this, is, this has been amazing. But of all those people, I have to say, uh, and I'm not just saying this, um, I really loved the relationship that I established with Mark Hamill. Um, he is a very talented actor. He's really generous with other actors. He... Well, you know, a lot of actors are very competitive with each other and can be ungenerous because mm. it's all about them. Mark, you know, he loves being Mark. He loves playing the Joker. He loves having fun. But he also loves giving you the stage. He's a very generous actor. And I've always found that the more generous actors are, the better you make them look. Absolutely. When you're surrounded by good people who are giving you energy, you give them energy back. You're all making each other look much better. When you're with a selfish actor who just kind of takes, um, it makes everyone look worse because there's just no spark in the room. You know, that creativity just isn't there, and it makes it harder for everybody. So Mark makes me better, and he makes my job easier. And I think... Um, I would like to believe that I help him make his job easier because uh, I love giving to him. He's a he's a an inspired kind of crazy lunatic. Oh well, the way you guys played off of each other is incredible. Yeah, we had a great time. What was it like? And to watch him in a studio, um, 
I'm much more, you know, because Batman is so brooding and contained, I tend to hunker down. Mark, who's, you know, he's going crazy, he practically devours the microphone. His face is like rubber. Um, it's like a Jim Carrey character. You know, he's just, he's like a rubber man in there. He, he really jumps all over the place. He's, it's, it's fun to watch. Uh, do you remember what it was like when you first met him? Like, what your what was your interaction like? Or you so. know, he's talk about the childlike quality. Mark has that down pat. He is a child at heart, and it's right on his sleeve. His the child in him is a, is 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 right below the surface. It's he's, it's so immediate. He puts people at ease the second he says hello. He's just one of those people who's... I don't know him, and I've heard he's the nicest guy. The ni- like, nicest the guy thing. in the world. But not nice in a sort of, you know, idiotic way. Nice in a genuine human... He likes people, and he likes creativity, and he likes to be crazy, and he enjoys the child in all of us. So he puts you at ease right away. So actually, the moment I met him, I thought, oh, this is going to be a blast. We are going to have so much fun together. And I think he felt the same way. We've, we've had so much fun since the very beginning. Well, is it like- and I really, I mean, you can't say that about all actors. I work, Believe me, I work with a lot of actors who are real dicks. <laughs> is, was there a particularly difficult experience, you don't have to name names, <laughs> that- like, you know, whoa, it feels like the show was mostly great. Yeah, it was mostly great. Uh, but There was one incident I remember one day. Andrea is so wonderful. There was an actor on. She's great because if you give someone a line reading, you, you know what you want it to sound like, but you can't give them the line reading. If you do, you kill it because all they will sound like is them imitating you. Mm-hmm. No matter how hard they try, it's always going to be them imitating you. So as a director, you kind of guide the person. You say, you know, okay, my, now the house is on fire. You're running out. You've got to save your kids, and you're running for help. And then you say, you know, you, you give them the, the, the motivation, the, the, the impetus to get to the line reading that you're looking for rather than giving them the line reading. You know about yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I hope your audience knows that. No, it's, it's definitely good to explain anything. But so you don't give line readings. Andrea never gives line readings. She's great at inspiring you with the ideas to get you to the reading that she's looking for. And uh, she's great at talking in actor talk. But there have been instances where she's tried with an actor and tried with an actor and tried with an actor and you can just hear when you're the constant through hundreds of episodes and you go through dozens and dozens of actors you can hear when someone has hit a groove and they can't get out of it and she's saying no um they go you know um help and she's saying no, 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 look, the, the communists are coming over the hill. It's a whole horde of communists. They're burning down your town. You're, you've got to get your family out of there. You're calling for help. Do it again. And you hear the actor go, help. She says, no, 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 it's the communists and the Nazis, and they're all coming after you, and it's the whole world is burning, and you have to get your kids out of there. Now do it. Help. I mean, you can hear the guy is stuck. He can't get past it you know what she's i mean she's jumping up and like she's like to... <laughs> screaming and giving crazier and crazier situations and he can't get to help you know which is what she wants and um 
And this went on for a while with an actor. And at the end of the episode, she said, uh, okay, let's go back to that line again. Let me just try a couple more takes. And she did it again, like three or four times this actor. And it just wasn't happening. So she said, okay, great. Thank you, everybody. Wonderful episode. It was really good booking today. Um, oh, Kevin, we have some notes for you. Can you come up to the booth? And everyone else can leave. So she left everyone else. And she said, Kevin, uh, what's your schedule like this afternoon? I said, what, what are you talking about? I, I'm okay. She said, can you stay for a couple of hours? We have another actor coming in who's going to read that character. <laughs> and I realized that she didn't want to embarrass the actor. She was letting the guy save face, basically. Um, but while she'd been trying to get the performance out of him that she wanted, she'd been on the phone hiring someone else. <laughs> Um, she's just that way. She will never humiliate someone. She loves actors. Um, and, you know, the best actor in the world can have a day where they just get stuck in a groove. Sure. And they can't figure out what you want. Um, so it wasn't any reflection on that actor. It was just, it was, it was a lesson to me in how, how decent and gracious a person Andrea is. I thought, wow, that was really cool. So I stayed around for a couple of hours, and I read someone else into that role. Um, That's amazing. How many but that times... kind of stuff happens. Yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting. Well, it also is like a testament to the quality of the show. Uh, it's like, great, we got to bring somebody else in to do this. Uh, it's worth it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They are Bruce Tim. Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> He's like... He will not put up with any shit, and he will not put up with anything less than a 100% performance. Well, how many other Am I roles... allowed to use language like oh, that? Oh, yeah. You can fucking say anything. Okay, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> I wasn't sure. No, no, no. Uh, <clears throat> well, you've probably filled in with so many other roles where, like, you know, just... I know that you were a police blimp officer in the first episode as well, which is Well, they very... can use actors under the union contracts. They can use you for a certain number of like roles. Like three times yeah. per session? Yeah, you can use three voices. So she always gets people to double up or triple up. They can't use me as much because even when I try to mask my voice, people tend to hear Bruce Wayne mm -hmm. or Batman. They, they, they found that it's... It's harder for me to mask it because it's such an identifiable sound. So they've only had me with a few other characters. Well, you're the, the center of the show. The so, fun yeah. part was, um, did you uh, did you see the Stinger, the character I did recently? On which? On um, what show is that? It wasn't Venture Brothers. It was. Uh, oh, I mean, I saw Venture Brothers. That was sure. fun. Captain Sunshine. Captain Sunshine was fantastic. great. Fantastic. No, the Stinger was uh, on another show. Turbo Fast. Turbo Fast. Yes, uh, Netflix. Netflix, yeah. Check it out, guys. Uh, it was fun. Oh, man, that's awesome. Yeah, how do you feel about, like, you've inhabited the role of Batman for so long. Um, do you think there's ever a point where you'll be like, no more Batman, or it feels like it's a part of you and you want to continue to give? <sighs> nice. No, oh, God, he's like a good friend that you just could never turn your back on you know what I mean I love playing the character he's such an he's such an interesting character he's he never fails to fascinate me he makes me want to be a better person you know what mm. I mean Batman that's doesn't he make you want to be I mean that's, I mean I think so that's I what grew up is so inspiring about him you're Batman so I think that is a large influence yeah he makes you just want to be good and makes you want to 
He's a very challenging character. I, I love playing him. And I love when I do the psychological episodes like um, Dreamscape or Perchance to Dream or um, Mask of the Phantasms, things that get into the, the, the psychology of the character, the, pack, the back story. Because I feel like you didn't get a lot of chances to do that, uh, you know, over the a large percentage of the episodes, like, you were the constant and you're, you know, like, taking villains down and you had to bring that in a more subtle way or at least it was, like, kind of in the subtext versus yeah. the episodes, like, you know, perchance to dream. Yeah, most of the episodes, it's, like, the strong silent type. I have to communicate a lot with just a few lines. Which is incredible. You do Which it. is fun, but it's a different kind of challenge. But when I get an episode like Perchance to Dream or Dreamscape where it's about Batman's psychology... Uh, then it's just like, you know, it's an actor playground. It's so much fun. Well, and you got to play Thomas Wayne as well, yes, right? Yes, yes. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And young Bruce. There was one episode where I did five voices of that all had to be believably related but distinct. Well, let's talk about Mask of the Phantasm. Great. Uh, what, what was your first... When did you first hear about it? Because uh, there was word, I know, of a, like a direct-to-video movie, and then it turned into a feature film. Were you like, oh, finally, yes. <laughs> this is awesome. Yes. <laughs> I'm taking over the world. <laughs> um, it was What was great about it was be able to explore a story and the character in a full-length format instead of a... 20 minute 25 minute episode you know what i mean yeah um you really get to flesh out characters relationships and um in mask of the phantasm is wonderful because it what happens in it is um bruce falls in love and he um has to he feels that he has to ask permission from his the souls of his parents to release him from his vows um, so that he can have a normal life. And in confronting that past, he sort of confronts his past um, in order to seek a new future. Um, For an actor, there was just so much to work with there. He's such a complicated character. And it was a it was an episode where you got to really explore the Bruce Wayne psychology and also the Batman persona and psychology. Um, so it was it, there, there was so much material to work on there, and I think it's a beautiful episode. It's the artwork is beautiful. Um, uh, Dana Delaney, uh, I've worked with before. She's she's very easy to work with. She's she's a very giving um, actress. and uh, It felt very easy. The relationship, you know, yeah. it really translated to the film. It was like, oh, these, there, there was a connection there, and it was yeah. not overstated. I mean, most animation wouldn't, it doesn't feel like a kid's movie. No, you know? not at all. Well, remember Batman, the animated series, originally was a primetime show on yeah, Fox. exactly. It was never geared towards kids. It was a, it was a sophisticated animation. Yeah, they just um, happened to be able to sell toys. On yeah, top exactly, of it. exactly. That was just you know, more, more, yeah, more goodies on top of it. But no, it was always um, geared toward a much wider audience than kids. And um, Phantasm was an example of that. 
Well, I spoke with Alan Burnett and Paul Dini a little bit about this, and, and they, they were saying that Alan wanted to write a love story. He was like, I want to do a romance with Batman. I don't, we've seen him beat people up. I just want to see him fall in love. Was it, how did you access the happier moments of Bruce Wayne? I feel like we see this non-phony Bruce, this kind of young, a little bit open to the idea of, you know, a positive future for the first time in his life. Yeah. Well, that's what was so much fun about playing it, is there were so many other colors to play than the, just the dark, brooding, painful character. Um, so for an actor, that's just so much fun to deal with. And um, and Dana was very easy to work with. She's, she's a very giving actress, so she made it easier for me. Um, another great Batman movie is um, Sub-Zero. Oh, yeah, the Mr. Freeze one. Wow, that opening, I don't know if you remember the opening sequence, you're looking up through the ice at the Arctic Circle and there are polar bear paws running across the ice. You're looking at it from under the water. It's just brilliant animation. Um, That's beautiful too. All the Batman movies, the animated movies, have been really cool. They're great. Yeah, they're my favorite Batman movies. <laughs> yeah, they yeah they are. I and mean, I think I think Phantasm is the best Batman movie hands of down. any of them, of of any live action or any of them. Um, I was rewatching it last night, uh, as one does when they host a Batman podcast, mm-hmm. uh, and it really struck me how lost you get in the flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would forget that I was in a flashback because I was so enthralled by the story. And I was like, oh, wait, this is so expertly woven yeah. together. And so complicated. Yes. It's it's like a tapestry. The thing I love about that movie is that it's sort of a tapestry of Batman's life mm-hmm. and where he wants to go with his future and doesn't feel that he can. <clears throat> That's just so well written um, and so beautifully uh, painted. Um, I think it's a wonderful movie. Did you see it? Uh, well, what was your experience seeing it on the big screen? It was exciting. Where was the premiere? Do you uh, remember? <laughs> I think it was on the Warner lot. I think it was on the Warner lot. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the other quality. ones have been done at the Paley Center, either in New York or L.A., but I think that one was, was before uh, they used the Paley Center, so I think it was on the Warner lot. Do you have any uh, memories from that time while you were recording the film, or did it kind of get lumped in with the rest of the series? Was it? Well, the series was. It's a funny thing about doing series like these is they buy them. They buy the episodes in chunks, and you never know if more is going to be bought, especially with a new show like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was no guarantee that there were going to be more. So each time you do another – and also, people probably don't are going to find this odd. There's no contract for these shows. You're, you sign new contracts every time you walk in the studio. Really? Yes. Every contract is for that day. So they have no hold on you and you have no hold on them. So you have no guarantees. The fact that it went on for 23 years – is just serendipity. It was ne- there were no long contracts for these jobs. Isn't that weird? Yeah, it's really weird. Well, that's crazy because it was such a successful show. I know. So it was already a surefire thing. I know. I don't. I don't understand why they do it that way. But it's 
it's all done like day to day. So you have no idea how long this is going to go. Isn't that weird? <laughs> That's so strange. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's no sense of job security, let me tell you. Well, but, I guess um, it's keeping in keeping with being an actor, you can't ever feel too stable. I know. I think that's probably it. <laughs> I hate that about acting. I mean, is there anything else anything else that you can speak to about like why you think the series endures? I think Batman has endured for 75 years and these series have endured because he's not a superhero. He's just a hero. He's a guy who everyone can relate to because everyone's had tragedy in their lives. And everyone also leads a public face and a private face. We all have different personas in the world. I think we spend our lives trying to reconcile our public and private faces. But So the fact that he has this very distinct um, break between these two personalities... People, people, I think, relate to that. Um, he's a very aspirational character. He makes you want to be better. He's, he never kills anybody. He puts them in Arkham, mm -hmm. which is where the crazy people belong. You know, There's no gratuitous violence. Um, He's he's a, he's such an ennobling character that it's hard not to love him. Wise words from Batman himself. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. This is great. Yeah. This is great. Uh, I have, I have new stuff coming out next year, but unfortunately, I can't tell you what it is. Tight lift, but I've been busy, and uh, there is a lot coming out next year. Uh, will you do something for me? Yes. Oh, you already know that I'm going to ask you to do something <laughs> in the Batman voice. Uh, this is the weirdest thing to ask you, but since I was a kid, what we we always repeated you going, Harvey, no. <laughs> From the Two-Face episode, can you give me a Harvey no? Harvey, no. Thank you, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, thanks so much for listening. Stay tuned for a preview of next episode. Uh, if you're new to the show or just like it, welcome. Please subscribe and rate the show and leave a comment if you get a chance. Follow the podcast on Twitter at BTAS Podcast and myself at HeyJustin. You can find more info and donate to keep things running at www.BTASPodcast.com. As always, if you know somebody who worked on the animated series or you are somebody who acted or worked on the show, hit me up at batspodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to have you on the podcast. Uh, I'm looking at you, Mark Hamill. You can't tell, but I'm looking at you right now. I'm assuming that you're in the direction of where my eyes are pointed. Also, if you've already listened to this show, but you just can't get enough of my voice in podcast form, subscribe to my other show, Before You Were Funny. It's a podcast that I co-host with Jacob Reed, where we bring in the funniest writers and comedians, and they share and perform their oldest, worst material, sometimes in front of a live audience, sometimes in a judgmental cave of audio. No, it's not judgy. Uh, from Kristen Shaw to Andy Daly to Dan Harmon to Kyle Mooney to Casey Wilson, check it out on iTunes. Next time on Batman the Animated Podcast. Harley Quinn creator and writer Paul Dini returns to talk Harley's Holiday. With Harley's Holiday, it was like, okay, Harley is a character that everybody likes. Let's do an episode about her. And 
let's see what happens when she's a threat. She's not just facilitating the Joker, she's actually the one causing trouble. Plus, more fun guests on the horizon that I refuse to tell you about because we gotta keep some surprises, right? Batman the Animated Podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by me, Justin Michael. Tom Smith created the show logo, and Casey Trela helped produce the theme song. Harry Chaskin is the voice of the podcast. Thank you to Paul Gussar, Whitney Lovall, and Stupid Buddy Studios for allowing us to record. A huge thanks to my guests, Alan Burnett, Alex Fernie, and of course, your hero and mine, Kevin Conroy. Lastly, a shout out to This American Life producer, Tori Malatia, who called me yesterday just to say, Your angel of death awaits. Okay, Tori, I get it. We're all going to die, but I don't need the daily reminder. I'll see you in two short weeks for yet another Batman the Animated Podcast. Gotcha.